you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Looks so good. Doesn't look real. Right now and fast down, the S&P posts their worst day in over a month while the Nasdaq has its steepest slide since the start of the banking crisis. Now investors turn to the action after hours in Alphabet and Microsoft. Both stocks higher at this hour. We'll go inside the numbers. Plus, UPS not delivering. The stock posting its worst day in nearly 17 years after an earnings miss and some seriously downbeat comments from the CEO about consumers and the economy. And later, First Republic's brutal day after shares nearly cut in half today as the bank is reportedly trying to sell up to $100 billion worth of loans and securities to get its house in order. Will it be enough to fix their problems? I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq Market Site on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Courtney Garcia, and Guy Adami. And we begin with a monster night of earnings after the bell with conference calls getting underway. Deirdre Bosa, Steve Kovac, manning our tech desk following the action in Alphabet and Microsoft. Alphabet's calls just starting. Plus, Kate Rogers standing by with the very latest from Chipotle's earnings and Christina Partsnevelis digging through the results from Visa. We got to start off with Alphabet here. Shares are jumping after the company's cloud business posted its first ever operating profit. The tech giant's conference call is just starting. CNBC's Deidre Bose has got the details. Debo. Melissa, there's a lot of focus on that cloud profitability, but I want to make sure our audience understands something. Just a few days ago, Alphabet started reallocating some of those expenses from cloud to search. That, in effect, trimmed a billion dollars off of its 2022 operating loss, and it helped achieve this milestone faster than it otherwise would have. Yes, Google Cloud was heading in that direction, profitability, but it would not likely have gotten there this fast, most certainly, if it didn't have that sort of reallocation that it announced in a filing on Thursday. Moving on, on the growth front, cloud revenue is decelerating like it is at the other hyperscalers, Amazon's Azure, AWS at Amazon. Um, in terms of the core business, search and advertising, it was a second straight quarter of falling revenue. And investors, we know they were really looking for more progress on the cost cutting front. So I spoke to CFO Ruth Porat on the phone just after the results crossed. And I asked her if there was more wood to cut. She reiterated that the company is committed to growing revenue faster than costs. But instead of pointing to anything specific, she said they're looking for durable and sustainable ways to achieve that efficiency. She mentioned using AI and automation to achieve that. And certainly we're going to hear a lot more about AI on the call, which is just kicking off. Melissa. All right, Debo, thank you. Deidre Bosa. All right, so focus on the profitability of cloud, Karen. There's mm -hmm. also, of course, the second straight quarterly decline in ad revenue, which um, is something that we should take away and apply to other companies as well. Yes, but I think it was better than feared. Mm -hmm. So that was good. I thought that was actually uh, a mild positive. Um, the buyback, a $70 billion buyback. Um, but I, I, to Deirdre's point about expenses, they've been the blaggard for sure. And I think there must be so much room to cut. We know they're going to shrink their footprint of real estate and employees somewhat, but I can't help but think there is more to do there. And um, I, I think it would be very, I, I mean, if you look at what's happened to Meta since they, you know, found religion in the year of efficiency, efficiency, right? I mean, I think Google really has more to do. So um, all in all, I thought it was fine. I feared worse. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, this was enough, I think. Yeah, it feels like a sigh of relief here. A, a sigh of relief for sure. I, you know, and I will say that I think they get the benefit of valuation works for them. So they didn't have to knock the cover off the ball. I think people are looking for valuation. Now, the question is, where does it go and where do you take profit? So if you go back to August, I think the second leg lower in Google took place from this sort of 118 level. And that lines up. Carter Worth, I think, might have been on last week talking about how Google looked good to him. I think he pointed out sort of 120. So this stock should have legs up to about that level, barring any foreseen things in this conference call if it happens. Yeah. Courtney, your take on the quarter? Yeah, I think there were definitely some positives here. I think you bring up ad revenue, which everybody was expecting was going to decline. And I think that's something when you look at the general economy, people do look at that as a bellwether to what that means for the consumer going forward if ad spending is pulling back. And it was better than feared, which actually I think was a good thing. Um, I do think you want to own these companies. We do have exposure to them, but I'm not actively adding to them after such a big run up this year. It's already up after hours right now. Um, I don't think you want to chase this on the upside either. What do you want to know in the conference call? I want to know about YouTube. I, yeah. I want to hear a little bit more about the environment. YouTube, I, I, I'm going to give as much credit as even the, the ad business and the, the operating margin improvement in the cloud business and that going net positive just because YouTube has been, I, I think, one of those stories where I, I think there's the most upside for this company on some level. This is a place where I think they're in a pole position right now in, in the world of wide open streaming. Uh, the competitive landscape around Netflix, what does that now mean that Netflix is in there on video ads? So I think that that's very important. I, I, you know, back to where I think Guy was with this. I mean, you have to think about the stock in the context of where it was going into these numbers. It, this was up 20 percent from a chat GBT low. I mean, this was this was a stock that was really uh, beleaguered at one point. I think we sold off on the concept of you know Bing versus Google search, which isn't even a conversation to me. Um, but it's interesting that, of course, we're going to have the same conversation with Microsoft in a second. What's really going on in AI? I think for Google, uh, the core business are alive and well. I think the comp in the second half of the year get a lot better for Google, by the way. Um, they were very difficult over the last couple of quarters. Remember, uh, 4Q21 comp is 33%. The comp on this one was about 22%. So it was tough, and, and I think expectations were low. Just a couple things to add. Um, Tim talked about AI. We want to hear about how do they monetize it, right? Yeah. We don't know. Microsoft, we, we don't know. We don't know what the model is, but we do know that there's fears of cannibalization of their search business. The other thing, just to get to the advertising sort of sigh of relief, you have Meta up 4 or $5, Snap is up. So the read-through is that the advertising business for overall is better. Yeah. I mean, the commentary about the ad business, particularly when it comes to the YouTube ads, will be interesting because they have more of the brand advertising, and that can sort of be pulled back as the economy gets a little bit more uncertain. So we might be able to get some color on where they see the economy is based on what brand advertisers are doing with their money. Yeah, that's that's a healthy sign for sure. YouTube's a good question. My question would be, you know, employee growth. I think up from 160,000 employees this time last year to close to 200,000, they're ramping up for something. Now, margins were actually good this quarter. You wonder how long that can last. Again, valuation is the reason I think you want to continue to own it. That's why Karen, I'm sure, continues to own it. Question is, what level do you pull the ripcord? I think 118 is probably right. All right, Google's up more than 4%. Let's get to Microsoft now, also surging after hours. The software giant beating on the top and the bottom lines. Results in the cloud better than feared. CNBC's Steve Kovacs got the latest. Steve. Yeah, the, the other AI company, right? Well, so look, Microsoft delivering a beat and showing growth in the segments that matter. Revenue overall up 7% year on year. Net income up 9%. Intelligent cloud beating expectations, too 
2022 with over $22 billion in sales. That's up 16% year on year. Now, this is the division that includes Azure Cloud, but Azure Cloud growth keeps decelerating. It's up 27%, but keep in mind, Azure was growing nearly 50% this time last year. Could be a sign companies are trimming their IT budgets. And in more personal computing, that includes Bing Search, by the way, beat expectations with over $13 billion in revenue, but was still down 9% year on year. And take a look at Windows licensing revenue. That's down a whopping 28%. That follows all those reports we got from research firms like IDC that PC sales fell off a cliff last quarter. And we got to talk about AI. CEO Satya Nadella bragging in the company's earnings release that AI innovations calling Microsoft the platform of choice for AI development. Now, the call starting at 530, and I'll be back with more as soon as I get it, Melissa. All right. Thanks, Steve. Steve Kovac, uh, 5% gain here in the after hours. Guy, what do you make of this one? This one, you did sort of have to deliver on the yeah, results. Yeah, and I didn't think they would. They mm-hmm. did. But again, things are decelerating, but not as fast as people feared. Not unlike what you're seeing with Google. The difference here is, here's a stock that's trading probably 28 times next year's numbers. I think they're being rewarded already for it in terms of the stock price. Now, we've seen before at the 530 conference call weird things happen, but this is a good quarter and margins hung in. So you got to respect what they're doing. And I think in some ways it shows that Microsoft is just beating their competitors a bit, but it is still in this environment, I think, an expensive stock. As they have. And, and this is you know, this this honeymoon for Microsoft's gone on so much longer than I think a lot of people gave them credit for, yeah. both in terms of cloud and, and now this whole AI thing. And they they are the only ones with any real products in the in the in the till, you know, in terms of churning something out where AI can actually office 365 products, you know, Bing search, whatever. But at least they will be monetizing AI before other people. Having said that, at 290, you're right up at your AI high. I, I, don't, I don't know why you should not be chasing this, especially when as much as those Azure numbers, and I think they're the reason why the stock's also spiking, I think that's a relief. And I think at 27%, remember, as, you know, Azure revenues have gone from uh, about $30 billion to they'll be close to $60 billion by the end of 23, and they're not going to ever do that again. And I just think you've priced in a lot of peak stuff here. And I, I you know, this, this is what we have to say about Microsoft, because it's, there's not a lot bad you can say. Yeah. Um, it's just that it's been such a great run. And I look at the outperformance of the S&P, spoke about this yesterday or two days ago about Apple and Microsoft, both 23% to the S&P uh, from that run in the last four months. I, I, think it's, I think this is a relief back up to that level that you're fading. But, you know, I mean, a lot can happen on conference calls, particularly guidance when it comes from Microsoft, which will come, you know, in maybe half an hour's time or so. But the big picture so far is that things aren't as bad as everybody thought. That corporate slowdown we haven't seen, the pullback in advertising we haven't seen, bank earnings have been as bad as. So at what point do we say, you know what, maybe things are fine. Why are we sitting around here wringing your hands about a recession to come and S&P too high when things are coming out all right? Yeah, and I think you're seeing more and more of that. We'll, we'll get to later. I mean, UPS is telling a different story when it comes to the consumers. So I think you're getting some mixed signals. Um, but I think what's interesting, too, when you look at Microsoft is PC demand was expected to be down significantly. We did see that. Um, but again, it wasn't as bad as feared. And some of that, too, could get resolved here soon because there tends to be a three-year cycle of you getting a new PC. We're about three years out from COVID, right? So it's about that time where you could could start to see some of the end of the cycle here. And again, AI, they have not yet uh, benefited from, but that probably, you know, a year, two years out, you're going to start to see them generating some profits there. So I think longer term, you're going to start to see that. But I think to Tim's point, a lot of that's probably already priced in at this point, which is the problem. Yeah, I just to that point, I mean, I have a little higher, 30 times earnings almost. And I mean, that's, you know, a pretty significant premium to where the market is. It's a premium company. It deserves a premium valuation. But 
I don't know how much more room there is to go at this level of 30 times. Also, Amazon up a few 3% or so in the after hours on the cloud. Yep. But, but your point about Hold on a second. We were expecting this to be this. You know, I, the last four quarters, I've been expecting this is the quarter when mega cap right. tech lets us down. And and today was the day during the trading day where it's set up for everything we wanted. We wanted to hear. I don't want to necessarily hear well, this, you but, but, but on yeah. some level, I have been saying I want to hear that warning on enterprise. I want to hear that warning from mega cap tech. It's another earnings period. And I, I'd say this is probably the fourth in a row where it's kind of not giving you what you want. And I think it's extending out this whole cycle for this market. And it's about the great greatest trading market we've had in a long time because you've, you've, you're, you're going to get these opportunities. There's pessimism. There's people on both sides of the boat. There's passive investors that continue to get rewarded for staying in some of these names that are, uh, you know, these five names are 45% of the NASDAQ 100. So um, you're totally right. Today was a, we'll talk about the market later in the show, but this was that kind of day that sets you up for two of the biggest companies in the world to disappoint. And they've done the opposite. All right, let's get more on the big tech movers from Gene Munster, managing partner at Deepwater Asset Management. Gene, great to have you with us. Um, what do you make of the results so far? What are the things you want to know? Um, Melissa, I think you and, and the panel summed it up well. It just wasn't as bad as people were expecting. I've heard that several times, and I would agree with that. At the at the base level, what jumped out to me most is there wasn't much that jumped out from these uh, two reports. But uh, that doesn't uh, that essentially buries the headline here because the hour and a half here that we're in, this is like power hour for AI tech geeks and investors. These two conference calls are really going to set up, I think, the tone for AI for the next one, two months. And we're going to hear more, especially from Google. And I think that uh, uh, this is really going to be the substance of what uh, came out tonight. Uh, is going to be how Google is going to talk about their nine products that are one billion and more monthly active users. That is uh, by far the most of any company, and they've been sitting on this AI train since 2017. Microsoft got going back in November. They made the OpenAI investments before that, but I really think that the kind of the key takeaways from this earnings period is going to happen in the next hour here when we hear more from Google on products and hear more from guidance from Microsoft. Do you feel like you have an understanding as to how AI-powered search will impact um, the profitability of that business at Alphabet? Or do you think that that is something that the company has to elaborate on? They have to elaborate on. And I suspect that it's going to be a near-term downdraft in terms of some of the monetization with search. Anytime you see a new platform take off, this happened when Facebook went from desktop to mobile. It happened uh, when Instagram took over Facebook. Uh, Google has talked about it with their shorts being impacted, uh, some of their YouTube business being impacted by shorts. Whenever there is a shift, there is typically a step down in terms of monetization. That's the curve that investors want to get their heads around with Google. If not for that, I think Google stock would be up 40% this year. This would probably just lag NVIDIA. But there is that piece. And uh, we're, I think the best thing for Google management to do is just to let investors know, you know what that uh, kind of that, that drawback looks like. Our best guess is that the search business is negatively impacted by 5% over the next couple of years in this. Uh, but ultimately, we think that it will power higher, uh, uh, much, much, much higher clicks per search, more uh, less uh, clicks, but much more uh, ARPU per search. And uh, we think that that's going to be a net positive. We think Google is probably one of the best ways to invest in AI over the next five years. Gene, it's Karen. So it's hard for investors to get our arms around, as you said, what, what it's going to be, how you value all of their AI um, and also DeepMind and Google Brain merging. But 
In terms of the cost cuts, which I've been looking for, which is a lot more tangible and sort of easy to put a multiple on it, do you, are you frustrated with that? Do you expect anything more from them on that? I uh, hope that they're going to say more about that. Of course, they talked last quarter about this being they're going to shift their uh, the word that they use is a durable, more durable uh, business model. We haven't seen the substance in it, and that has been a slight disappointment. Uh, they've made uh, cut uh, headcount by, call it 8%, and of course, Meta leads that at 25%. 8% is more or less in line. But I think that there is unfortunately more room for Google to do on the headcount reduction piece. And I think that they probably will do that. And that's part of the reason why they talked about this, uh, this 70 billion buyback. That's 5% of their float. They're gonna be buying back uh, shares, I think, as they uh, talk about some of these headcount reductions in the quarters ahead. I think there's more to come for Google. And I think at that point, it really sets the table for uh, improving margins. But I think in Google's case, uh, there's more to go. We own Google, we, we like this company, um, we wanna buy more. Uh, but uh, I think there's this this trough that we're kind of navigating through right now ahead of what's going to be a great outcome for AI and Google. All right, Gene, thanks for your thoughts initially, and uh, let us know what you hear on those conference calls. Will do. Gene Munster. All right, so what are the outstanding issues uh, for these calls, Guy, in your view? Well, for Microsoft, to me, it seems like, you know, there's this deceleration. Will that reaccelerate any point? Tim's point is ex- ex- exactly right. I mean, I think the growth part is behind them doesn't mean they can't continue to grow it just decelerates and what's their end user looking like I mean everybody else seems to see a slowdown you know where, where are they seeing the pickup that's gonna basically in my opinion allow them to continue to have a valuation that is maybe justifiable for them but expensive in this environment yeah Courtney how about you yeah, I would agree with that. I think really we want to see um, moving forward for them what is going to be the catalyst to bring them further, right? Because I think um, everybody isn't so excited about AI, uh, but it's just not profitable yet. So I don't think that's something we can really hang our hats on at this point in time. And I think we do need something we can hang our hats on. Like you're saying, it's a lot easier when we look at cost cutting. We're just not seeing that right now. So I think we need something a little more tangible. All right. Coming up, we've got more earnings action after the break. Shares of Chipotle and Visa higher after reporting results. Details from the quarters next. And we are biting into McDonald's after strong results this this morning, what the CEO had to say about the quarter as shares hovered near all-time highs. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a double dose of restaurant movers, starting with an earnings alert on Chipotle. Shares surging almost 8% right now after the company beat on the top and the bottom lines for its first quarter. The stock hitting a fresh 52-week high in the after hours. Our Kate Rogers joins us with the very latest. Kate. 
Melissa, big quarter here for Chipotle. Comps up 10.9%. Margins also better than anticipated. We all know pricing has been the name of the game for Chipotle, but CEO Brian Nickel telling us just earlier before the call that price hikes have paused at least for now. Take a listen. Our plan is to pause on pricing. Um, you know, we have always said we're going to keep an eye on what happens with inflation, both labor inflation and food cost inflation. And, you know, we like to trail that a little bit um, rather than get in front of it. So we feel pretty good about where we are right now. We don't have any plans to take pricing. But, you know, if we see that move, uh, fortunately, we've got a really strong brand with a lot of pricing power. Nickel also telling us the labor picture is improving. The company plans to open about 285 locations this year, many of them with those Chipotle lanes. And we're always talking about restaurants that are well positioned in a recession. We'll get to McDonald's later. But, Melissa, this is also certainly one of them. Back over to you. All right. Uh, thank you very much, Kate Rogers. Stay right there. We'll get to you back to you for McDonald's. Um, this is what we would call here on the show. Um, a, oh, a my goodness. Burrito blowout. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, it's fun to say. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> What did you make of this quarter? The fact that, yeah, you know, we're, and we're hearing this from other consumer yeah. companies in terms of the pricing, the pricing increase train may be coming to a halt at this point. Yeah. Good for them, yeah. by the way. I mean, at a certain point, you got to slow things down yeah. and they've navigated extraordinarily well. You look at restaurant margins were 25.6 percent. A year ago, it was 20.7 percent. They've navigated the last year in an inflationary environment and still able to maintain their margins. It's really extraordinary what they're doing. And they just didn't beat ten and a half dollars. I mean, the street was below nine bucks. That is a blowout as well. And it probably is deserved of this move. Now, people will say, wait a second, you know, the valuation is, it's been expensive, it's ridiculous. You're going to have a big volume day tomorrow. If you've enjoyed the run-up, there's nothing wrong with taking, taking some of the burrito off your plate, maybe, as, as it were. Yes, if you yes, might, yeah. yeah. If you, but it's an extraordinary company. It's an extraordinary quarter. There's some uh, headlines coming off of that conference call. The CEO saying that you did see some recovery in the lower-income consumer, which is also good news for uh, other you know, quick serves as well as retailers. Well, we, we talked about it with Coke prices um, and, and all these major brands who have pricing power passing on Starbucks, what they've done over the last two years, it, it's, it's north of 25 percent. What CMG continues to also do is they do a great job of beating reasonable guidance. I mean, they had a mid, so they had a, uh, I think they had a mid single, a high single digit guide, excuse me, on their comps. They came in at 10.9%. And we talk about this multiple, and I've talked about this multiple uh, almost as much as we've talked about the burrito blowout uh, over and over again on this show. Um, for a long time, I, I mean, not only have I been wrong on CMG for a long time, but this multiple has been expensive for a long time. So why should we think that this multiple is going to catch up with this company now? I don't, I mean, I, I, anyway, there's been so much that's been done here. And I think this is a company that I, I, I don't think is fighting from a multiple dynamic. I think let's watch the consumer. There was just one point with, uh, I don't know if it was a Morgan who interviewed the CEO in the last hour mm -hmm. where he talked about having enough workers. Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting because they had struggled for a little they less than others, but had still struggled. And so I don't know, maybe we're seeing a little bit of a supply dynamic change in the labor market. All right. Uh, let's get to McDonald's here. Ending the day half a percent lower after hitting another all time high this morning. The fast food chain reporting a top and bottom line beat before the bell and said same store sales surged even with higher menu prices. Still executives warning that they expect economic headwinds to persist this year. CEO Brian Kamchinski joined Squawk on the Street this morning to break down the quarter. Kate Rogers has the details. <laughs> Back to you, Kate. 
Hey, again, Melissa. Well, huge quarter, as you said, for McDonald's beating on every metric. Notably, that same store sales number increasing 12.6 percent in every segment across the globe, far above projections. CEO Chris Kemczynski acknowledging some macro challenges in this environment, including stubborn inflation, of course, but also expressing optimism about what the future holds at McDonald's. Nat, still by the end of the year, we're going to be looking at, uh, I think, probably high single digit inflation on a full year, which is certainly uh, much elevated than what we've been used to uh, over the last, uh, you know, kind of prior period where we typically would be in the low single digits. So uh, that is pressuring margins. We're trying to be very thoughtful about how quickly we pass on this pricing to consumers. So far, the company's seen growth across the customer base, Melissa, not just the lower-end consumer. And while those consumers are more mindful of how they're spending, McDonald's is saying that demand for the brand remains strong. So another thing we've been hearing from analysts, and obviously the stock's been performing very well uh, on that news. Back over to you. All right, Kate, thanks once again. Kate Rogers, the latest on McDonald's here. This is one where they had to deliver on all points, Courtney, because of the all-time highs that it's been sitting at, basically. Absolutely, yeah. And this is a company that tends to actually do well in an inflationary period because people tend to trade down. And in 08, 09, they actually did hold up better than a lot of their competitors because they can be a beneficiary of that. Um, I thought it was interesting when you look at the units per transaction. So people are going in and still spending money at McDonald's, but they're pulling back ever so slightly. Mm-hmm. They're spending a little bit less. And I think that's where, when you look at their guidance, they're going to be more cautious going forward. Um, so I do think that they'll probably continue to still hold up better than their peers. They're valued a whole lot cheaper than Chipotle, which we were talking about which is almost more comparable to like a Tesla valuation, which is crazy. Um, so I would probably pick like a McDonald's over here if I had to choose between the two. Oh, she's self, would you rather? Mm. <laughs> Already, so, I mean, not, many, how not many, many get away with it. Not that Port, many times. Courtney does. <laughs> I, I don't think I would have gotten away with it. I certainly Why wouldn't not? deserve to get away with it. Um, the CEO was talking about how consumers were deciding, you know, maybe they won't put the extra fries in. <laughs> Is that the difference maker? No, it's exactly. I mean, holy cow. But they're being careful with how they spend. Yes, but this has been a top line story. This is a U.S. This is a comp story. This is an international uh, operated markets and IOM story that we're expected to be. Um, you know, this was less bad. Um, but this is a company that we're not finding ways to, uh, you know, find a silver lining here. The silver lining is right in front of your face. They're growing their top line and they have been defensive in good economies and bad economies. Um, but at some point, uh, again, I, someone's been long McDonald's for for five years to a great run. It's not back padding. I, I, you know, I've I've been selling upside calls and I'm almost called away entirely on the stock mm-hmm. over the last three months because I think uh, I think I'm going to be able to buy cheaper. So you would take some nuggets off the tray. Oh, oh, you can use the same. No, no, it's not the same. same. Oh, you should take some burrito off your plate. No, that's fair. Well, it's I mean, not a tray. It's more of like a little cardboard box. Right? All right. Okay. Whatever it may be. How do you feel about McDonald's? Again, tremendous. I mean, international, international and U.S. comps were exactly the same, up 12.6% against 8% expectations for both. Extraordinary. Operating margins, 46%, up from 40% a year ago. Fantastic. There's nothing bad you can say other than maybe valuation and the way that it traded today. But the CEO, I know, happens to be a Fast Money fan. I would submit because they have all those meals named after famous artists and stuff. Celebrities I'm not looking for a Fast Money one, but they should create a Kemchinsky. That would be brilliant. Like a filet fish Maybe a quarter pounder, large fry, and a shake. That would be a Kemchinsky. 
be brilliant. That's just, I, I think a fast Yeah, but that's exactly why it would be so brilliant. Imagine people walking up and say, give me the Kepchinski and just <laughs> throwing it out there. Coming up, the earnings keep rolling in. Shares of Visa on the move after reporting results. The latest in the quarter next, plus a huge drop in shares of First Republic. The regional bank tumbling 50% after delivering results last night. We'll lay out what had that name on the fall, on the, on the decline. You're watching Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks. Closing near their lows of the session today, the Dow dropping nearly 350 points. The S&P falling more than 1.5%, its worst day in more than a month. And the Nasdaq leading the losses down nearly 2%. Shares of PacWest jumping after reporting a top-line beat, saying deposits are up $700 million since the end of the quarter. That after shares of First Republic tumbled nearly 50% during the trading session. That regional bank said, to, said its deposits shrank by more than 40% during the quarter as customers pulled their money out following the Silicon Valley Bank collapse. Uh, David Faber also reporting that they're looking into asset sales here to shore up their balance sheet. It could be $100 billion in assets up for sale. Karen, you've been in this in this trade. Yeah. Through preferreds. Well, the long puts, long preferreds. Mm-hmm. Long puts on the common, long preferreds. Yeah, which really works out if they raise a bunch of equity and the stock goes down and the balance sheet's better. This $100 billion of asset sales is enormous. Um, it would be most of their book. Um, so whether or not they can do it, I don't know. It was interesting sort of how it unfolded in the market with David having the story this morning about asset sales being something that's being considered and would these uh, this consortium of banks that help them with deposits, would they help them with this? And then later, there was a story with $100 billion attached to it mm-hmm. and the market just collapsed, which was fascinating because I don't, I don't know what's going on inside there. Chaotic. Clearly, that 12-minute conference call with no questions didn't help. We'll see. They, you know, they're talking about strategic options. I have no doubt they really want to do something. Trying to raise money desperately, I would think, in any kind of equity with some sort of preferred or warrants or something. That's sort of their, I think, their only hope. It's a great, fr- or was a great franchise. I hope I mean, it what can is still be again. Now? I mean, a financial advisor, some of their most valuable you know, FAs are yep. walking out the door along with presumably with the assets. The billion Well, they've talked about the assets. assets are still there. I don't know uh-huh. how easy it always is to move assets, but time is really of the essence, right? They can't see that traffic continue. So I think they've got a little bit of time. Like they talked about, well, David talked about within days. Mm-hmm. I think we'll see something over the weekend. I don't, clearly they can't have more days like this. Well, actually, one more day like this would really be the end when you're down 50 percent. But um, it, I don't know. It's a fascinating story. I do hope they save it. I think it's cheaper to save it than let it go under and deal with the consequences of that. You mean to the taxpayer? To the taxpayer, yes. Yes, I do. Um, let's get to another earnings alert. There's a lot more to unpack with this story, so much. But let, we got to get to Visa here, beating on the top of the bottom lines. The conference call is underway. Let's get to Christina Partsinevelis for the details. Christina. 
Consumer payments, really the driving factor for Visa's beat in Q2. Consumers want to travel and dine out, and that's driving up payment volume, up 10% year over year, with even more strength overseas. So the CEO is breaking down all the business segments right now on the earnings call. A highlight that came up was new flows revenue, which grew 20%. They also pointed out commercial volume was up almost as uh, 15% year over year. And when I say new flows, it's really just new sources of revenue like peer-to-peer platforms. So just this month, not even two weeks ago, Visa launched Visa Plus, allowing users primarily in the gig creator environment to send and receive payments. So on the call, they said they are launching pilots with partners like Venmo, PayPal, and they see this as a future source of revenue. Lastly, as you all uh, discussed with Chipotle, quick service restaurants, a driving factor for payments volume. Visa seeing increases in cities like Seattle, Miami, Oakland. And so the stock is reacting. Not only you got the strong earnings beat, but really the strong payments volume. Melissa? All right, Christina. Thanks, Christina Partsinevelis. Courtney, what's your read through here? Um, I mean, I I think really what you want to look at with Visa is what this means for the consumer. And the consumer is still spending, right? They are putting more money on credit cards. We did see that there. They're at levels above the pre-pandemic, but still not at concerning levels. And people are really not as worried about this recession as I think a lot of uh, people overall are right now. Um, And that is why they're continuing to spend. That is going to benefit a Visa. And I think the numbers look good here. What's interesting is they, they've kind of juxtaposed an uncertain macro environment and uncertainty out there with tremendous opportunities they feel they have in payments and also uh, in terms of cash and check spend, especially in places like Asia. So um, this is a company that sees both emerging segments and emerging geographies for their business. And, and, and it's Visa. I mean, at one point, like to think that Visa is going to get boxed out in the payments world when, in fact, they they people will evolve with Visa as the payments industry evolves. That's the part of this story over the last three years that I think has been under uh, under recognized in terms of Visa. This is a company that I think going into these numbers, people People are expecting the consumer to fall out of bed at some point. So I think people are probably underpositioned here. And I think you're going to see some upgrades tomorrow. All right. Coming up, shares of UPS seeing their worst day since 2006. That's nearly 17 years. The devil in the details of that earnings report. Plus, Microsoft's earnings call just getting underway in the last few minutes. We're dialed in. We'll bring you all the headlines as soon as they hit. More Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. UPS having its worst day since July 2006 after missing top and bottom line estimates. Shares sinking nearly 10%. In an interview today, UPS CEO Carol Tomei told CNBC's Frank Holland about the impact changing consumer habits has had on the business. We saw retail sales in the United States take a market decline in the month of March. And we saw that in our business as well. There's a real change in consumer shopping behavior, moving from goods to service, spending more of their wallet on things like food. 9% of household budgets is going to food now compared to 7% just a couple of years ago. The shipping giant forecasting full year revenue to come in at the lower end of expectations. She mentioned specifically the month of March, the month of March, and you have to wonder how much of that is is actually carrying over. How much of that was simply because of the banking crisis, not simply, but because of the banking crisis and consumers not feeling very good about mm-hmm. spending and, and things like that. She told you actually how much a little bit later, which was that April was stabilized. They felt much mm-hmm. better. Um, I think that the primary thing going on here is really the negotiation with labor and that customers are deciding, you know, we don't want to be vulnerable to a potential work stoppage. We've got to move some of our business to FedEx or elsewhere, but FedEx would be the most likely place. And that so she's seeing that business move somewhat. She really believes it will come back 
and that I think her guidance is conservative. I think this sell-off is overdone. However, I do think it's a three-day rule kind of thing. Mm-hmm. This is a big move, yeah. I, obviously. I, I, I think it's it's got to be more than a three day rule when this is a 17 year, um, you know, kind of head, you know, the, the, the graphic on your screen. This is the worst day in 17 years for this company. And the guidance cut was so extraordinary that I think you, you really have to see where it settles out. I mean, it's nice that they've reset expectations. Um, it tells you that there's a COVID norm, a post COVID normalization that's that's still underway. It also tells you that their U.S. domestic margin um, still has some headwinds to go. UPS uh, member trades at such a premium to FedEx and has deserved not that anymore. premium has deserved <laughs> that premium. after today. Maybe not so Even much. Before, yeah. um, and, and it's also notable that UPS um, didn't take down the rest of the industrial group of which if you look at the XLI ETF of which UPS, I think, is the second largest, but it's about a five percent position was down one point eight on a difficult tape. And you'd think with UPS, it would be down a lot more. So this was more UPS. Um, and I think we have to ask Guy, because I know he worked there. I did. Um, and it, I hope you had nothing to do with this. Of course but, not. It was there a long time ago. That was in the heyday of UPS. I'll have you know. <laughs> of For the day that I worked there, as I've said, yeah. I was employee of the month. I'm sure we have the footage somewhere, which we won't show now. But I'll say U.S. China, down 20 percent. Now, we could say Visa, MasterCard, that's a tell on the consumer to a point. I get it. This is a pretty direct tell in terms of what's going on. And you could write it off to maybe a couple months here and there mm-hmm. in terms of the quarter. Things got back on tracks in April. Maybe yes or maybe no. And that valuation, which was rich, which is getting a little more in line. This stock, I think, bottomed out at 161-ish, the last low we made in the market. I mean, that seems to be where it's headed to. All right. Coming up, J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon in the spotlight as a potential deposition looms overhead. What former exec Jess Staley is saying about the bank we're checking back in on the conference calls from Microsoft and Alphabet. We'll bring you all the details next. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. New developments in the legal battle between J.P. Morgan and former executive Jess Staley. Mr. Staley asking the court to throw out the bank's lawsuit, saying in part, J.P. Morgan is trying to put all the blame for its relationship with the late sex offender Jeffrey Epstein on him. Let's cut to Eamon Javers with the latest. Eamon. That's right, Melissa. Former J.P. Morgan executive Jess Staley filed a blistering response last night to the bank's lawsuit against him in a filing that dropped just after midnight. Staley says plenty of people at J.P. Morgan knew about Epstein. And he also filed that that motion that you mentioned to dismiss J.P. Morgan's lawsuit, calling it a sloppily written shotgun filing. In his court papers, Staley says... Awareness of Epstein's criminal conduct reached the bank's highest levels, including CEO Jamie Dimon and the CEO of private banking, Mary Erdos, who nevertheless advocated to keep Epstein as a client. And he says it's not fair to pin the blame on him solely because he left the bank in 2013 to take a job at Barclays and J.P. Morgan allegedly kept up a relationship with Epstein well beyond that year. Staley argues J.P. Morgan failed to provide details to back up its allegation that he regularly vouched for Epstein's character or that he made misrepresentations when protecting Epstein from scrutiny inside the bank. And finally, Staley says J.P. Morgan is just trying to shift blame to him as it tangles with an uncertain legal situation. He writes, What is certain is that the bank cannot treat Mr. Staley as its public relations shield by asserting claims that lack any legal or factual basis. So, Melissa, the next shoe to drop in this case is likely going to be the deposition of Jamie Dimon himself by lawyers uh, who are suing J.P. Morgan. That high-stakes meeting expected sometime in May. 
Back over to you. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers. If that happens, that would be very interesting, Karen, but you think it's Mm -hmm. probably not going to happen. Well, I think that um, clearly they don't want this mess to go on and on. It's not good for anybody. It's not good for J.P. Morgan. I would think that the maximum leverage uh, that the plaintiff has is, USVI, is right before he's going to be deposed, mm-hmm. right? And I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if they settle. They've settled a lot of things in the past. It's been their way a lot of times to just say, let's just pay, get it done, move on. That's what I think should happen and will happen. Is this not an issue until or unless J- Jamie Dimon is deposed? Courtney, I mean, if you're a shareholder of J.P. Morgan, you know, we, we bring the audience updates all the time on this case, constantly. At what point is this a risk to the stock? I think we're still a little bit away as away from being north to the stock, right? I mean, I think there's definitely going to be individual people at J.P. Morgan who are going to, you know, have fallout from this. But um, this is really one of the banks that have held up the best right now. In a banking crisis, when people are worried about banks, when you actually look at the fundamentals, this doesn't affect the fundamentals of J.P. Morgan at the end of the day. And I think that's really what a lot of people are going to be focusing on. And that has been an area of safety within the bank space. I don't think that's going to change on this news, at least not in the near term here. Pretty clear that Mr. Staley is saying, I am not going down right. for the entire or organization. I'm the only one going down. Right. Yeah. Which is frightening. And to Karen's point, I mean, we just saw a company settle something. It didn't end the story for that company. Uh, there were still many chapters left. I think there are. Now, listen, JP Morgan wins to FRC and mm-hmm. the entire regional thing. I get it. The flip side of the coin is it's had a run back up to 141. That's where we topped out. Look, great job with the chart. If you go back and look in February, should stall here. Now, I just think there are going to be better entry points. Doesn't mean you have to sell it, but I think you'll be able to get into it at lower levels. J.P. Morgan's traded at a premium to the group for a long time, and it's traded at a premium as a function of uh, diversification, their balance sheet, uh, their, their asset base, um, and their leadership. And, and, and so I, I'm not even going to begin to question, hypothesize, wonder uh, where this is going for Jamie Dimon, who's been such an important part of the capital markets uh, scene for a long time, and on some level, even more broadly. So um, it's clear that J.P. Morgan is a function of many different pieces in terms of their valuation. I think, I think Jamie Dimon is absolutely part of that right now. Coming up, we are watching Microsoft and Alphabet After Hours, the latest from the conference calls next. Welcome back to Fast Money. Let's get another check on the big after-hours tech movers. Microsoft trading around after-hours uh, highs. Alphabet also holding on to gains a well off of its highs. Both conference calls still underway. Gene Munster, managing partner at Deepwater Asset Management, has been listening in. Uh, Gene, what are the highlights so far? Melissa, I'm learning a lot about the culture of these two companies and listening to them talk about AI It's as if Google management is drinking tea and Microsoft is drinking Red Bull. When Google describes the AI opportunity, they're optimistic, they're measured, they want to put consumers first, they're reluctant to talk about details about how AI is going to be integrated into their products beyond what they've told us over the past few years within search. On the flip side, Microsoft call is uh, like an AI party. They are hard on the AI uh, line about all the different products they just are going through. Uh, uh, several different executives that are talking about how AI is going to impact their products. And I've always thought of Microsoft as being a pretty uh, sleepy company when it comes to innovation. 
and they're are uh, they're doing something different here tonight. I don't think that that does that does not change my view that I think Google's underappreciated, but I suspect investors are are going to be focused on that theme. And uh, before we got on, maybe they hit it now, but I have not heard any updates on guidance from Microsoft, and Google has not given any guidance. Okay, so there's a lot to learn still on these conference calls. Gene, thank you. Gene Munster. Um, one of the headlines will be bringing large language model LLM experiences more natively into search as well. This is from Alphabet. We'll be rolling it out in an incremental way. Is this why you think, Guy, the stock, that stock is up 2% now and Microsoft is at after our session highs? Google seems to be a little more measured to mm -hmm. Gene's point. My but you have to ask yourself, I mean, Microsoft seems hell-bent. Every other word seems to be AI. What are, I'm not saying they're masking anything, but clearly there are things decelerating and they're making up on the back end for AI. If we're playing the game that Courtney self, remember <laughs> a little Would while you ago? Rather? Would you rather? 291 Microsoft, you sell at Microsoft, buy Google at 106. That is a pear trade, as they say. I wonder if, uh, if Google is being sort of uh, low-key because of that 60 minutes where... It didn't go well. That interview didn't go well about mm -hmm. them sort of feeling more aggressive then. Yeah. And without knowing for certain what the ramifications would be. Sure. All right. Um, meantime, a huge slate of earnings still on deck this week. Meta, Roku, eBay, United Rentals, Boeing. More such report tomorrow. The options market's betting on some big moves around the names. Mike Coe's got all the action. Mike. Yeah, so uh, let's talk about some of the smaller moves, but still large that we're expecting as earnings come out. United Rentals implying a move of about 6%. Uh, we're also seeing a similar size implied move for eBay. Meta, which is going to be reporting a much bigger implied move, and we've seen some big ones recently, implying a move of about 10%. And then Roku rounding out this particular group, expecting a move of about 14%. Now, looking at Meta, we did see some uh, bullish activity, somebody obviously betting that maybe it can recover some of the lost ground that we've seen over the last 10 days or so. Buyer of 915 of the April weekly 220 calls that expire at the end of this week, risking about 2.5% on a bullish bet. To me, I'm actually a little bit more interested in United Rentals, though I have to say this is the one that actually has the highest growth rate, is actually the cheapest amongst them and has pulled back significantly on some of the regional bank activity. So I wonder whether the calls might be cheap in that one. Yeah, a 6% move up or down on URI seems a little outsized for URI, <laughs> and I'm sure Karen's going to be watching this one, too. Mike, thank you. Mike Cove, more options action. Tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Time for the Final Trade. Tim. Conservative cash flow and really pricing a lot of bad news around their uh, vape world. Altria reports later in the week. I stay long into that name. Karen? Yeah, you know, once again, I'm staying with the girl that brought me. Google, I got to go home and Goodness. listen to the call, though. Courtney? Uh, McDonald's here, I think, is trading a little lower here, just on some conservative guidance. I think you want to continue to own this name. Key. CMG in a Yankee game. What's better than that? But Amgen in earnings next week, no. <laughs> Thanks for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries 
series warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.